Hi, Shalom Lechem, everybody. Thank you for joining. Uh, tonight, we're going to discuss the meaning of real estate. People use the expression real estate when talking about real estate, property. Why is property called real? Usually because it's something that stays with you permanently. It's not mobile. It's not something that uh, is as easy to, uh, for, its, for its value to change, and therefore it, it's considered a real acquisition. And people invest a lot in, in real estate, and it's not only in, in physical property, but people invest a, a good portion of their lives trying to make it real, trying to acquire something that will give them stability in life. And people very often in their lives discover that what they had originally thought was real is actually not that real. There's only one thing which is truly real and it's not anything that us human beings could possibly achieve on our own. So we're going to learn from one solitary letter in this week's Torah portion what is truly real and what is worthy of the investment of our hearts and minds and energy and something which really in the time we're in now it really is something which makes so much sense. So there is one solitary letter in this Torah portion which encapsulates the totality of Jewish history and gives us insight to Jewish psychology and philosophy and sociology, yeah, what's the word? I don't remember. Whatever. To our totality of Jewish history, we get from one solitary letter in this week's Torah portion. So, there is a rule, a law, a mitzvah in this week's Torah portion, and that mitzvah is called Yovel. How does Yovel work? A person buys a property in the land of Israel. Torah says, that you're not allowed to keep that property forever. You have to return that property in what is called the Jubilee year. What is the Jubilee year? When the Jewish people entered the land of Israel, so they had to battle with all of the nations that were then present in the land. It took them seven years to conquer the land of Israel. After conquering the land of Israel, it then took another seven years to apportion the land of Israel to all the Jewish people. After the 14 years of conquering and dividing the land of Israel, then the Jewish people settled in the land and they counted the years. The Torah says that every 50 years, anyone who bought a property from someone else has to return the property. You're not allowed to keep the property forever, you have to return it. What is the reason that you have to return it? What does that even mean? So it underscores that although we think that our investment in going to an Ivy League college or buying real estate makes us have stability, it emphasizes that God is the only one that we can rely on and the only true reality and the only thing that really counts. That's the mitzvah of yoga. There's one exception to this mitzvah. If you bought a piece of property in a walled city, so Torah says in that scenario, you, the owner of the property has a year to try to buy it back from the person he sold it to. He has the right to buy it back. 
but after that year passes, the new owner can keep it, and even after 50 years are done, the new owner can keep it forever. So the question is, why is that an exception? How, what difference between a walled city or a unwalled city? How come the Torah says by a walled city that you are, you don't get back anything you sell, doesn't come back to you on, on the Jubilee year? So there are various explanations given by the commentaries. The Sefer HaChinuch, the book of education, says that the Torah wants us to cherish the land of Israel and therefore wants the owner of the land to really hustle and try to get back the land within a year and therefore the Torah gives a timetable of one year in order so that the owner should really try to get back the land knowing that after a year he'll never have the opportunity to buy it back. So the Sefer HaChinuch says, there are, is the explanation of the Cheskuni. The Cheskuni says that walled cities aren't really that good for uh, planting and plowing. Walled cities aren't conducive for that kind of thing. And therefore, uh, the Torah says in regards to uh, walled cities, um, since they are, um, uh, aren't that conducive for, for, for um, buying, for um, planting, so uh, it's not necessary to keep the property in the hands of the original owner because since they're not fields, not usually used as this, the, the property in a walled city isn't usually used as a field, so it won't really hurt the original owner if the property has to be passed over to the new owner because the, the, the original owner isn't using it anyways for to plow and plant and for his personal um, uh, for his parnasa to su- support himself. Whereas a, a unwalled city, which you plow and you plant, and the owner benefits so much from it, so the Torah says, we don't want to take away his livelihood, and therefore, after 50 years, the property must be returned. That's one explanation. Another explanation given by the Meshachachma is that in a walled city, the Jewish people were able to fortify themselves. In the time, in ancient times, the strength of a city was judged by the thickness of its walls and the height of the walls. So if you were living in a city for a long time, you knew all the alleyways, you knew all the cra- cracks and crevices in the city, you knew how to get around. So if an enemy would try to come and attack the city, people living in that city would be able to more easily to protect themselves because they know the terrain. So therefore the Torah says that if someone buys a property in a walled city, he is allowed to keep it forever in order to maintain the integrity of the security of the city. So the Torah does not want that city, that, that property to change hands easily. So people who are living there have a, a knowledge of their city and they're able to best protect it. That's the explanation given by Meshach Chachma. And there, there is a, a very interesting way the Torah presents this rule, this mitzvah. Torah says, any city which has a wall will not be extricated from the new owner in the Jubilee year. It remains in the hands of the purchaser in the Jubilee year. The words the Torah uses are, a house in a city that asher lo choma, which has a wall. That's the words the Torah uses. But if you look at the way the Torah writes those words, 
The Torah writes the words differently. It says any, any house in a city which does not have a wall. It's written one way and it's read a different way. It's written Asher Lo Choma, which does not have a wall, but it's read as if it does have a wall. And the halacha, the way we, what we actually do, Maimonides says is that only a house in a city which does have a wall is not returned in the Jubilee year and remains in the hands of the purchaser. But the question, obvious question is, is first of all, what does this mean? It's written one way and it's read a different way. What does that mean? And bigger question is, how can the written translation be diametrically opposed to the way it's pronounced? What does that even mean? So, the Maharal has a few choice words for people who discount the sanctity of the written word of the Torah. Some people were saying in the time of the Maharal that the written word in, and the oral were the, the reason why there's a discrepancy. Sometimes the Torah is written one way, it's pronounced a different way. People were saying in the time of the Maharal, they were saying to the Maharal, you know why this is? It's because there were some various Torahs and various books, and there were discrepancies. So Ezra HaSofer, the great scribe Ezra, didn't know how, what to do, and therefore he wrote it down one way, and he wrote, and he, but it didn't make sense the way he wrote it, and therefore it was pronounced a different way. That's what people said to the Maharal. Maharal has these choice words very poetically, says, may their tongues lick the earth. Not, not, a, not the greatest blessing. He, he, in the Gemara and the Dharam says that the written words of the Torah and the way they're pronounced and sometimes when you read a verse in the Torah, there are some filler words. You, you can't really, it doesn't make sense the way it's written. You have to put some words in there for it to make sense. So the, the Gemara says in the Dharam, uh, Gemara says that it was all given to us at Mount Sinai. In the Dharam, page 37a, it says every single word in the Torah, the way it's written was given to us by Moshe Rabbeinu, by Moses at Mount Sinai, and the way it's read. Moses gave us both the written word and the way it's in, interpreted, the way it's read, the way we read it. There were other people in the time of the Maharal and other uh, different explanations to this discrepancy. They told Maharal, oh, you know why this is the way this is, why the Torah is written one way and it's read a different way? It's because sometimes a prophet would say something and it wouldn't make sense the way he said it. So when Ezra was writing it down, so he wanted to make it make sense, so he wrote it down a way that it would make sense, but really God said it a different way. And Maharal totally tears this argument apart and he says, how does that make sense? If you don't know the answer, if you have, if you have a doubt, say this word is a doubt. We don't know which word it is. What is the meaning of writing it one way and reading it a different way? So what the Maharal basically says is that there are two different layers of Torah interpretation. Just like in our vernacular, there's the way something is read and there's the way something is studied. So there are two different realms, two different kinds of interpretation. There's the written way and there is the oral way. Just like in our vernacular, the way you discuss something in conversation is different to the way you write something down. But the question, though, is why here, in the guarding the laws of the Jubilee, does the Torah say that the wall, the, you only can maintain ownership of the home that you purchased in the walled city if it has a wall around the city, or according to the way it's written, if it does not have a wall around the city, why do we have these 
seemingly two, not just divergent, but contra- really they're diametrically opposed, two interpretations of the same sentence, which are the opposites of each other. What does that even mean? There are, of course, many different ways of explaining the Torah, but here we have two explanations which are directly the opposite, and they're in the same words. What does that mean? So, in short, we, what we discussed so far till now, those just tuned in, basically, people talk about stability and ownership, and there's nothing really in life that is permanent, and that's why God gave us the mitzvah of the Jubilee year, where when you purchase something, whatever you purchase has to be returned. And we were wondering about this exception of when you purchase something in a walled city, where there the Torah says you can keep it, and we brought different explanations, various commentaries, either because it helps you fortify the city better, or because it doesn't really matter so much if it's a walled city, because the agriculture isn't that good in that city, and therefore it won't matter if if it's taken away from the original owner. Um, and also another explanation which I didn't mention yet, and that is when you purchase something in a walled city, usually it's because you are intent, you have intent that you want to stay there for a long time. You, you want to, you, it's a place you want to invest in and bring your family there and, and stay there. And therefore, uh, the Torah says, if you, if you buy something in a walled city, you could keep it. But our question though is, when the Torah gives us this rule that the walled cities are different, the Torah writes the cities without a wall are different, and the way we pronounce it is the, the cities um, with a wall are the ones that uh, have this different rule where the purchaser can keep it. And we, want to, we want to understand why it's written one way and read a different way. So Rashi, the father of all biblical commentators, he explains that the reason why the Torah here um, writes a city without a wall, even though it's talking about cities with walls, is in order to drive home the following point. Walls go up and walls go down. At what point do we say the city is called a city with a wall or a city without a wall? So Rashi says, it depends on when the wall was built. A wall that was built in the time of the conquest of Joshua, the, the student of Moses, the successor of Moses, any wall and any city which has a wall on it, a wall around it, from the time of Joshua, is considered a walled city. That's what Rashi says. Although the, the wall may have been taken down since then, but as long as a wall was around from the time of Joshua, then is considered to be a walled city. That's what Rashi says. But that doesn't answer our question. So there, there was a Jew... Uh, a rav in a rabbi in Berlin and every year he would come to the Rebbe and he would ask the Rebbe for a blessing for his city and I don't remember if he was in East Berlin or West Berlin I believe he was in Democratic West Berlin it's known that the communists built a wall between uh, Democratic West Berlin and the communist East Berlin so people should not try to leave uh, the communist side and go to the democratic side so I think he was from the democratic side and he came to the Rebbe one year before Shoshana and he asked the Rebbe for a blessing as he always did and a blessing for West Berlin and the Rebbe was giving out then uh, before Yom Kippur that was giving out honey cake and it was 1987 the Rebbe gave him a few pieces of honey cake and the Rebbe said this is for all of Berlin, all of Berlin. 
And as history tells us, just a few uh, months later, uh, half a year later, President Reagan made the famous declaration that uh, I see the writing, I'm looking out in the, in the Reichstag, the famous structure that uh, represents the unity of Germany, and I see the writing on the wall, and ideas, um, this wall will go down, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down the wall. And that's indeed what happened on June 12, 1987. The wall came down. And throughout, our, throughout history, we find many different civilizations and cultures and empires who have tried to build, tried to build empires and not just civilizations, but also in the personal level, the people who have invested a lot and trying to build their company, trying to build their firm, trying to build an empire. And everyone wants to build something that will never, never falter, that will stay forever. But history tells us that all of these different, these different empires have risen and fallen. The Romans are not around anymore, they're only in Wikipedia. And uh, the Jewish people wrote Wikipedia. So the Torah tells us by putting the word here in the Torah, a city without a wall, the Torah is telling us there are some things that look like they're defenseless. They have no wall. They have no fortification. They have no security. They won't last. And there are other things which look like they have a wall. They look like they're strong. They look like they're at permanence. And the Torah wants us to understand that the thing that looks like it does not have a wall, that's permanent. That will last forever. And those things which appear that they don't have a wall, those are the things which, the things which appear to not be protected last forever. And those things which look like they're so strong are just temporary. For example, in Song of Songs, there's a verse, I am a wall. Said Rabbi Yochanan, what is the meaning of the verse, I am a wall? Said Rabbi Yochanan, this is the Torah. The Torah doesn't look like it's very powerful. It doesn't look like it's very strong. Just a spiritual message for us in our lives. It doesn't seem like it's something that lasts. But the Torah says, we have to understand, Ani Choma Torah. What is the real wall? It's the defenseless Torah. It looks like it's just something which is temporary. The deck of cards does just some words from the Bible. It's spiritual. It's holy. It's something which lasts forever. And that's what the Torah tells us about the walls that Joshua erected. Joshua, he didn't just put up walls in Israel. Joshua came as a messenger of God, a successor of Moses, to bring sanctity to the land of Israel. As the Talmud says that every part of Israel that was conquered by Joshua had a different kind of sanctity. And the message, of course, is, is that what is considered a wall, what's considered permanent, what's considered something that you can count on, it's something that's godly and holy, and the Torah and its commandments. As Reb Sadi Goyen phrased, said so poetically, our nation is only a nation by virtue of its Torah. It's Torah that makes us God's nation, that makes us have stability. So, just one, one story that brings us home, a famous story that happened in the year 68 of the Common Era. Uh, the Jewish people were going through a very hard time. They were under siege by the Romans. The Romans had but laid siege around Jerusalem. And within the Jewish people, the Jewish people were fractured by various groups that were threatening um, the stability of all the Jewish people. The Romans had laid siege around Jerusalem, and all of the uh, rabbis wanted to make peace with the Romans. 
led by the prince of the Jewish people, Rabbi Yochanan Menzaka, he wanted to make peace with the Romans. But among the Jewish people, there were rebels against the Romans, the Bayonim, and they did not want to make peace with the Romans. And they actually, they actually um, sabotaged any, um, any sense of stability in the walled city of Jerusalem. They burned down these storage houses because they wanted the Jewish people to revolt and to fight against the Romans. They wanted to make peace something that was impossible. And Rabbi Yochaman Zakkai, he tried to go out to speak to the Roman emperor, but they would not let anyone leave. And Rabbi Yochanan had a relative named Ben Sikra. And he told Ben, he called ben Sikra and he said to him, I want to go out. And Ben Sikra said, there's no way you can go out. They're gonna, they, they won't let you out. So Rabbi Yochanan said, really, Rabbi Yochanan begged him and he told him the following plan. He says, pretend that you've died, put something which has a foul, foul odor around your body and your students will carry your coffin out in order to bury you. And then the, you'll be able to go out. And sure enough, they carried him in the coffin and he goes out and they wanted to prick him to see if he's alive or not and the student said you can't prick our teacher they wanted to push him to see if he's alive they said you can't push our teacher either and they let him go and he ended up speaking to who was soon to be the Roman Emperor Vespasian and Vespasian he tells Vespasian prophetically he's going to become the Roman Emperor and as they are there in the conversation Vespasian is informed that he is in, has become the new Roman Emperor and he tells Rabbi Yochanan I will grant your request what would you like Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Yochanan says, give me Yavne, give me the city of Yavne and its wise men. I want the city of Yavne to remain intact. I, don't, I know you guys are going to destroy everything, but leave the city of Yavne intact. Why did he ask for that? Some people, the Talmud gives various opinions about what, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, but the meaning of what he was saying was, the Jewish people's strength is its Torah. It looks like it does not have a wall. It looks like it's defenseless. It looks like there's no security in the wall of Torah. So the Torah says, Asher lo choma, what you look at, when you read in the, on the Bible, it looks like it does not have a wall. That's lo choma. That does have a wall. It's written one way. It appears one way. But if you look deeper into it and you study it, you, you'll discover if you read it, you'll realize that this is the eternal wall. This is something which which you can count on. And this is something we, we see in history. If you were to try to point out in our long history, in our very colorful history, if you were to try to point out something that, that we all have in common with our grandparents in Tunisia, in Spain, in Russia, and something that connects us all, and you can find some, one common denominator, between all the Jewish people in history, it's not anything else other than the Torah and its commandments. If Moses, when Moses rather, when Mashiach comes and all those who have passed away will live again, tonight may Mashiach come and may we see them and go to Jerusalem. When we come to Jerusalem and, we, and, we, and we'll meet Moses face to face, what will we have in common with Moses? A lot. Shabbat, kosher, tefillin, mezuzah, these are things which, unlike any other philosophy, any other religion, the Jewish people are, have an unbroken chain of millions of people that were there at Mount Sinai and saw God and received the Torah. And they, those millions of people, related this truth to their children. And they related it to their children in an unbroken chain until the present. 
So although many other things in history look like they're the wall, but what is truly the wall? If we were to point at something in our history which is really um, the only thing that we could say is common to Jewish survival, it's not our weapons, it's not military prowess, it's only the Torah and its commandments. And this is something which, you know, in the time that we're in right now, really, you feel this. You look around and you look at all the different things that you thought are going to be one way and, and, and there's just a sense of uncertainty and the only thing that we can really count on is the only thing we could ever count on which is that we're in God's hands and certainly whatever's happening is for something good a loving father doesn't strike a child just to see the child cry obviously if we're in God's hands whatever is happening to us must be for a holy and beneficial purpose for us here in this world so certainly if we hold strong to the wall of Torah, this will bring us the greatest blessings, the eternal blessings, the secure blessings of the Torah and its, and its mitzvot. And may Hashem bless us all to experience the true and complete ulot to Mashiach Tzidkenu. And may we see tonight the Tchiyas HaMason, the resurrection of the dead, including, of course, Ruchama Bas Yaakov, whose yard is today, Mirun Hashem Aliyah. And she may she be good to better on behalf of all of her descendants and families. Have a wonderful Shabbos and only good news. Thank you for joining.